As mentioned this morning, we continue our sermon series of discipleship lessons from the book of Philippians. And our message this morning is going to focus on uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And in verse 12, if you, if you take a look at that, you'll notice in verse 12, Paul begins with the word, therefore. And when he does that, when he often begins with this word, it seems that we need to go back to see what he's talking about so we can understand the therefore. So our focus will be on chapter 2, 12 to 18. But I'm going to go back, I wanted to go back to chapter 2, verse 1. But incidentally, also there is a therefore that begins that off. So I'm going to go back to 127, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, and uh, we'll read to verse 18 of chapter 2. And before we do, let's come to God in prayer. God Almighty, as uh, you've given us your word, the story of your love for us, and uh, how we can just respond to that amazing love, to that amazing grace. So Lord, this morning as we read and continue reading from the book of Philippians, we just pray for your continued spirit to be upon us, that you'll open our eyes and hearts and ears to what it is that you are prompting us, to where you are challenging us to, to work out, to work out our salvation. So Lord, we thank you that you are in control, and uh, we just thank you for your word, and we'll hear more about that through your word and through the proclamation. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 1, verse 27, we begin reading. We focused on that last week, but we'll read it this week again. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign of them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And now we get to our text for this morning, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. 
as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I do not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and will rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. We thank God for his word. So Paul here is referring to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And he desires God's people to be obedient as Jesus was obedient. So people, we have quite the challenge that's coming to us from the book of Philippians. As we are called to live out our discipleship, or as Paul would say this week, work out our salvation. Last week we talked about obedience as living and serving and worshipping as a unified body of God's people. Being unified in a diverse world with diverse people and personalities is not an easy task. It takes humility, it takes compassion and love. It takes a tremendous amount of grace. As Paul stated through the words that we heard this morning and and last week, it takes putting our own interests aside and looking at the interests of others. In this week's passage, Paul is saying, be obedient like Christ. And he instructs us to work out our salvation and do everything without grumbling and complaining or arguing. And all of this goes back to chapter 1, verse 27. Well, we began the reading with, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever is going on in our life, whatever is going on in the church, we can never ignore the fact that we are called to proclaim Jesus and his gospel to a hurting and broken world. Or as Paul uses the phrase in chapter 2, verse 14, a warped and crooked generation. So Paul begins with extorting his people He begins with exhorting, sorry. He begins with exhorting the people to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work at your salvation. The word work out in today's language conveys a strenuous and sweaty expectation. A workout is expected to be hard work, as we heard through the children's message. And working out our salvation is not necessarily easy work. And that's why Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. It's not that we need to be afraid of God, but fear and trembling means that it's not going to be easy street either. Working out our salvation is not at all about our works and deeds resulting in us being saved. That's not happening. It's not like the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, You see that question about the chicken or the egg. People often have difficulty trying to figure out the answer. There are some people who will question salvation this way. What came first? Did God choose me or did I choose God? See, there's often confusion when there shouldn't be. Because people, it's clear that God, and it is from God's word, that God chooses us. We talked about it in the first chapter of Philippians, how, how God initiates, we respond. We're reminded of God initiating his promises to us through baptism. It's not about us being good enough. It's about God's promises. We're reminded of God's faithful promises through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Again, not about what we've done. It's all about what he's done. It's about his grace. 
We're reminded of God's faithful promises through his word. God initiates and we respond. We respond through publicly professing our faith in the Lord. Not just once, but several times. Receiving his grace in the sacraments. We respond and we accept those awesome promises of God's grace that he first made to us. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is at work in our hearts. And we respond to him. God is in control of our salvation. And when we are God's children, we we remain God's children. He's already forgiven our sins through Jesus Christ at the cross. And if there are some here thinking today that, well, I haven't been baptized or I haven't formally accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, do not underestimate God working in your life, inviting you to respond to his amazing grace and his initiating promises inviting you to respond to continue to work out your salvation so we're told to work out we're not told to work for our salvation again god's word tells us without a doubt that we are saved by grace alone in fact every other religion whether it be islam or judaism or buddhism proclaims that salvation is by works that you need to earn your salvation And Christianity is the only religion that proclaims that salvation is by grace. And in reality, Christianity is more than a religion. It is a relationship. A relationship in which God initiates His promises, His love, and salvation. And we don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. As mentioned, the word, or the phrase, work out, that we do is is challenging. Working out is challenging. But in our working out of salvation, in our workout, it's like having the Holy Spirit there with us as our spotter. In fact, it's even more than that because we have the Holy Spirit helping us lift up the weights in our lives. Not only a spotter, but lifting up those weights. Working out our salvation is expressing in our lives the fact that God is at work in our life. And we matter to Him. We have value because of Him. We read in verse 13 where Paul proclaims, It is God who works in you. He works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. God has a plan of salvation that's laid out for each of us. And our workout, as challenging and difficult as it may be, is made easier. Because God is working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul uses the phrase, it is God who works in you, this word works means energizes. It is God who energizes you. God is the energizer that drives us to to do the things that we do for him. God is at work in us. And our words and our actions will reflect his powerful presence in our lives. Working out our salvation will reflect his energizing work in us. And while God is working in us, we are working out our salvation. Still hard work, but it points all back to him. The next command that we're given by Paul in this passage, is do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, this is a tough one for each of us 
This is part of that hard workout that we're called to do. So this passage provides us direction on our attitudes. Attitude is important. Attitude is everything. There's going to be times that you don't appreciate certain things. There's going to be times you don't appreciate certain people. There's going to be times that you do not necessarily agree with someone. And we're people who so often complain. How many times don't we complain about the weather? Or we may complain about work or school. Sports teams, that's a big one that we complain about. Our relationships, our friends. Those on Twitter or Facebook post complaints way too liberally. And we complain about our churches. We complain about the body of Christ. Now it goes without saying that there is often restlessness in churches. And it's unfortunate that the restlessness often takes the form of of expressing itself through grumbling or arguing. But complaining already goes back to the church of Philippi. I mean, you can also read letters to the Corinthians, to Colossians, to Ephesians, or recall the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and you will hear messy church stories and exhortations to all the churches. It's difficult to work out our salvation. And this morning, Paul doesn't beat around the bush when, he, when it comes to complaints. So we don't need to beat around the bush either. There's been unrest and complaints and arguing in our church. Likely not too different than any other churches. But how we respond should be different. And we can thank the Lord. Thankfully, we have had new members and profession of faiths and baptisms, new attenders. We have celebrated sacraments and been blessed by the word. But all these blessings far too often get overshadowed by discouragement and arguing and complaining. And people get discontented, and this often comes out through arguing and complaining. So if you think this sermon is about you, it is. And this sermon's also about me. I do it too. We all do it. And whatever is being said by Paul and through this message is being said to each of us because Satan is our enemy. And Satan would love love nothing more than to see a church complain and argue and get caught up in all this stuff. Because when we get caught up in arguing, we're missing the opportunity for the gospel message to be proclaimed and people entering into relationship with their Lord and Savior. So Paul, he's telling us to work out, to work out our salvation. And as we do everything, as we continue working out our salvation, doing everything, we don't grumble or argue. And let's look at the word grumble and argue for a moment that Paul uses. So does this mean that we have to keep everything to ourselves and not even mention things that create anxiety and discomfort with us? Yes. Mostly. Because you will get over it. But Paul is also saying more here. Do not argue or grumble to make or prove a point. Do not argue or grumble with an intent to accuse or blame. Do not argue or grumble with selfish motives in mind. And if we really stop and think about it, most of our complaints could probably stop 
because they have a selfish motive behind it. I know. I complain too. If there is a complaint, well, not if, when there is a complaint, perhaps it's got to be taken through the proper channels, but for sure it's got to be doused with grace and humility. Remember what Paul said, put the other's the other person's interests ahead of yourselves, and never argue or grumble at the expense of the gospel. Often in church, when things get uncomfortable, it creates anxiety. And people don't like anxiety. And then the system, or the church body in this case that we're talking about, could, bo- could possibly become unstable or these, these ripple effects occur. Because the anxiety begins to get transferred to others. Now, ripples and conflicts, and I've said it before, and I say it over again, are not inherently bad things. But how people respond to them can be. And what occurs with grumbling and complaining is something that is called emotional triangles. And we're really good at creating emotional triangles without even knowing Because if there's a tension, if you have one person and another person, and there's a tension between two people, what often will happen is that somebody's going to bring in another person into the conversation. And will likely bring in another person into the conversation that probably thinks like we do. And we often think it's harmless. We just want the support. But what has happened, you have these two people... And a triangle has occurred. You brought an extra person into the anxiety. But what about this person? This person's going to do the same thing. And another triangle has occurred. Sides have been unintentionally created. And again, perhaps with unawareness. In my former congregation, often when things wouldn't go right, I had this go-to person that I would just go to. He was an older fella. He was wise. He, I just really enjoyed getting together with him for a time of prayer. And it was what I thought was innocent in terms of just, I wasn't intentionally doing anything wrong. However, it, after a couple years, I realized I would always go to him knowing that he would always side with me and affirm me in what I was doing and what I was thinking, whether I was wrong or not. Because he thought the same, and I went to somebody who thought the same. And we created triangles, unintentionally. What happens is tensions are created, awkwardness is generated perhaps, and it just grows. But then we think, well, at least I didn't complain because I just went to one person. But a potentially destructive ripple was caused when we went to another person and created sides. We thought we were keeping the peace by not bringing it to the attention of the leadership because we didn't want to ruffle feathers or step on people's toes. And yet, an unhealthy situation was created by likely creating that triangle. Now, not all triangles are dysfunctional, okay? Many are, but not all. Matthew 18 actually provides us a biblical example of creating a triangle, but a healthy triangle, where we go up to people, and if the person doesn't listen, we bring somebody else into the party. But it all comes down to attitude, and ultimately our hearts. 
So did we get somebody on our side, even unintentionally, in order to prove the other person wrong? Was a triangle created because I want to be right and wanted to see things my way? Did we share information out of gossip and in the wrong spirit? Do you hear the selfish intentions, the, the selfish background in play, at play? Or was a triangle created because I want God to be pleased and his church and kingdom grow? And I want the, the issue, the problem, the complaining to stop and to, to be worked out. Our attitude and intention in our hearts has everything to do with it. And there's going to be times and things that we don't appreciate doing. There's going to be things in our lives, in our families, in our churches that we don't necessarily agree with. And that's natural because God created each of us differently. So enjoy the difference. And there are times that we might have to just tell ourselves, get over it. It's not worth complaining or grumbling over. And getting over it actually means releasing it and not letting it stew inside of us. That's part of working out our salvation. And it is hard work. The early part of chapter 2 and last week's message stated to have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Our attitude is a tremendous witness to the world. Because a negative attitude prevents many other stars, as Paul refers to, stars from shining. Your family and your friends, they know that you are a believer. They know that you are a Christian. And if they see you complaining all the time, why would being a Christian at all look appealing? A complaining Christian is a poor witness. Paul says, don't be Christians who whine, but be Christians who shine. And God is working in you according to his good purpose so that others will see you shine in this dark world. Mahatma Gandhi was a young man practicing law in South Africa when he was attracted to Jesus and considered becoming a Christ follower. One day, a white elder blocked his entrance to a large church, threatening him if he didn't leave. Years later, the missionary Earl Stanley Jones asked Gandhi why he rejected Christ, and Gandhi replied, Oh, I didn't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. We're called to have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Working out our salvation. Hard work. And that brings us to our final point, somewhat shorter, because it ties into our attitude again. Paul tells us to be glad and rejoice. He's doing that throughout the book of Philippians. Be glad and rejoice. Our attitude should be one of gratitude. And when Paul wrote this letter, remember he was being held in a Roman prison. He didn't have physical freedom, but from the perspective, he had the most important, but from his perspective, rather, he had the most important freedom. He had freedom in Christ Jesus. And we too have this freedom in Christ Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again for each of us. Jesus took the fall so that we don't have to. And this is reason to be glad and to rejoice. And when we grumble or or argue, we get distracted from all that amazing stuff, all that amazing grace. Oh, and God's grace is still there for each of us. But we miss out on so much of the freedom in Christ. God is at work in us. We have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in us. 
The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us. So be glad and rejoice. Shine like stars. Make Jesus known to others. We rejoice that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That he died and rose for us. That he offers us forgiveness from all our sins. And that's something to always rejoice about. And when we do end up grumbling and arguing, God has taken those sins upon him at the cross. When we do make a mess out of things, it's not reason to be shamed. It's reason to be thankful and rejoice because those sins are forgiven at the cross. And we get a clean start of things again and again and again. So let's listen as Paul gives us these instructions on working out our salvation. Not complaining and arguing in everything that we do. And being glad and rejoicing. But again, we do none of this on our own. It is Christ who is already at work in us. Using us to shine his glory and his gospel in our life for his good purposes. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Holy, awesome, mighty God. Earlier in the service, we confess that we fall short, but you don't. You continue to work in us so that we will be people who shine like stars, that we will be people who share the love of Christ. And there are times that we complain, and perhaps those times are too often, but continue to extend your grace and your spirit into our lives so that we will strive to bring you honor and glory. Work in us to grow more and more in our love for you and our love for one another. Work in us to extend grace to others as you've extended grace to us. Work in us to forgive others as you've forgiven us. Wow, when we think about all that you have done for us, you give us so much. You give us so much that we don't deserve. And so we praise you because you are mighty to save. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.